Aloha, Kako, and what do you know? We're back with the Entertainment Weekly. And um, I'm just going to start by saying, guys, I made up for the Batman and that whole debacle of not getting that done on time. And I have now seen Black Adam again. And I have to say, it's just as nice when you watch it twice. Quote me on that, all right? Because, guys, this, like, I got to say, like, all the foreshadowing that really just helped sell the story and kept you going along and kept the pace up watching it the first time was amazing. But then knowing everything that you know at the end, which, by the way, we're probably going to talk about spoilers here. So, you know, just you, you better watch it at least once before I talk about it again. Right. And, and it's been in theaters long enough. Anyways, so thinking about all that foreshadowing the second time you watch that film, I have to say the first thing that gave me chicken skin was when The Rock went up to the statue. I, I just thought that that was that that like that rung so much more to me because I, like the first time I'm watching it and then like he's like forgive me you know he's speaking Kandaki to to his, his, what's what we find out later is his son's statue but like to us there in that first moment like you know who is he asking for forgiveness from so to watch it the second time and know all the pain inside of him for a first time. You know, for for anybody who's really just getting to know this new physical iteration of Black Adam, this is a really good character, you know, moment right here. Because this shows from the get that there's a heart inside of him. This shows that he is constantly in battle with his demons. And what I like even more now watching back the second time is also what's going on with Dr. Fate. And with Hawkman, Kent and Carter are the the best bromance of the entire movie. Now I gotta say that like the budding bromance between uh, Cyclone and um, and Adam Smasher is pretty cool. I like how it's it's very platonic. You know, you could easily read into it being more than that, but the way that they carry admiration for each other is is just remarkable. And watching how you know it, it's a good example of of just youth opening up to each other and, and finding the better parts of a life to unite each other. So they're really a cool, like it's, it's interesting really, because there's just, you can feel the feels between the characters. They really made the right casting choices as I got to sit and just watch each setup. You know, I wasn't, I wasn't really watching the movie as a whole. I was watching it in small pieces I loved watching the nuances of Kent. I mean, it, Dr. Fate is is a character I've always wanted to see on the big screen. And Pierce Brosnan. Oh, my goodness. God damn, brother. You just, congratulations. You have brought a character that I thought was going to be hard to bring to screen. Just the the finesse and, and, and just the the class that you brought to it. Just, it's, man. And he, and he even got a few punchlines in, and they weren't even just, like, regular punchlines. They were just the way that you you carry yourself sometimes, you know? It's just, like, the, the mints and the everything. Pierce Brosnan, you were a straight G in your performance, all right? Big uppercase G all the way, and it is going to be tough to fill 
those big gold boots uh, when the time comes to introduce another Doctor Fate one day. If if we even get one, we'll probably we're probably gonna have to only see like a Doctor Fate in like a HBO multiverse show or something or I don't know. But um, you know, the more I had time to just like look at Carter, uh, I gotta say he like he did a really good job of being like. America's enforcer that believes in America's values, but then also knows the BS of having to collaborate with Waller and then completely understands the imperialism that Inner Gang represents. And again, I really have to say, like, I mean, I've now seen it twice. All of you guys that are writing these hit pieces out there that say this is an anti-woke masterpiece what kind of rock are you living under? It's like you completely shut off your brain on all the parts where they like straight up take the jabs at Western culture and colonialism and like dirty American foreign policy tactics that like apathy, American apathy that screws over third world countries. Oh, we're going to let our American private business go ahead and turn your uh, country into a de facto state. But, uh, you know, the second that you want to fight those guys, that's a war crime. <laughs> it's like, guys, if you don't see it now, you're never going to see it ever. So, like, you need to check yourself on this one. So all you all you anti-woke boys out there that are just like, this is the best because it's a oorah Americana style. It's like, bro, you're the bad guy. Is it this is like this is like when when people get confused with like the Empire and the Rebellion and they like get Empire tattoos or tell their kids that stormtroopers were the good guys. Like I just I don't get it. I mean, who watches who watches Indiana Jones and uh, you know, cheers on the Nazis besides Hitler himself? So um the more that I that I watch like the the way that the people act and the conflict and the rising for everything, it is not only in its nuances because of the rock's touch on it, half like it sheds light on problems that Polynesians have. It sheds light on that, like, imperialized territories have. The Middle East has. I mean, because obviously, yeah, they're, they're emulating all the Middle East by introducing this Arabic Wakanda of sorts. But, like, you, you really have to understand that, like, it's a story as old as time in itself of colonial overreach and the lengths that we have to go through to liberate ourselves from that. So, to watching it a second time, I got to say, you have succeeded, Mr. Johnson, in creating a superhero movie with rewatch value because there's not that many on my list that I could feel I could watch multiple times. Like, Ragnarok, that was like my I could fall asleep movie. Like, if I'm working a like a gig, you know, like I got like a 4 a.m. call and I only got like three hours of sleep. Like I'll put that on and that's kind of like my when it when it hits the credits, it's like, oh, damn, I got to wake up, you know. So it like Thor Ragnarok was so comfortable for me that I could go back to that regular. Uh, I got to say, I watched Civil War a couple times, but I wasn't like I think it was more than just that I wanted to see certain things again to confirm small stuff. Um, Endgame. And Infinity War, I got to say, I watched the last, last one more than any of the other Avengers. Avengers 1 has great rewatch value after 
the saga's over, but I didn't really feel like watching it more than like a second time. And Avengers 2 just didn't have that for me at all. So, um, Captain America. I think that one, like, I watched it a few times, but it was because, like, girlfriends, friends, etc. So it was like, you go into another group and they're like, hey, we're going to go watch this movie. And I'm like, yeah, I already watched it, but I'll watch it again, you know? Um, but I have to say, in the age of superhero movies that we're just, like, swamped in, it really takes quite a bit to put yourself in a place to where that you're you're rewatchable, you're rewatchable soon, and you're rewatchable for reasons, not just because it's like, oh, that's cool, pull her off, like an episode of Friends in the background or something, you know? But it, it really is rewatchable to the degree that you will find new things in it or you will find deeper meaning in its characters. Um, the, the double cross on Ishmael came across a lot earlier to me. Because, I mean, yeah, they did kind of give him some shifty looks in there, but they did. He he played it subtly until that moment where you have to connect, like, hey, I, I'm going to go find him. He went out to go get some air, and then dude just, like, falls off the cliff in front of her brother. And so, like, at that moment, then it's like, okay, yeah, Ishmael's bad. But then, like, if you already know he's bad and, like, from the get, like, then it's like that whole that whole moment at the checkpoint at the beginning, that was a show. That was all a freaking show. His, like, whole feign of pulling out the gun, that that's just him showing off to the guys because, realistically, the guy who's holding them up knows exactly who he is because he works for him. So, like, it, it, it was all a game. Like, they let every – like, it wasn't it – wasn't, they fooled the guys at the gate. It's the guys at the gate fooled the people in the car. Like, that – and then that just makes, like, Ishmael even more diabolical. So, for in the sense that of a villain that we don't get too, too much time with because we're, like, really hardcore focused on the JSA movie inside of the Black Adam movie, which, man, I got to say, watching it a second time, it didn't feel long. You know, it is a long movie, but it didn't feel long even the second time because, like, it's a really good – it's two movies in one. So nice I had to see it twice. But, uh, man – that just, it, I I will probably get that on Blu-ray. And I have, I haven't even bought the Snyder Cut on Blu-ray. So, like, to say that, like, I'm going to buy Black Adam, I mean, that's that's a lot coming from me. I don't even, like, I don't normally buy, like, but I'm I'm really just doing it out of the fact that, like, I, I, I at least run, like, a 17% chance uh, probability of running to the rock in my lifetime right now. So, uh that that's something I'd have him sign, you know. Or if he never gets to it, I'll make a bootleg cover of that meme that I saw of uh, Mick Foley as Cactus Jackman, <laughs> and uh, and then I'll just have Mick sign it, or and I'll maybe get like some Italian VFX studio to resweet it with him instead. <laughs> but uh, you know, jokes aside, Black Adam the second time. Just as good, if not better, made me appreciate the first time. So uh, if I've just spoiled the movie for you, you better go check it out now. If not, and you agree with me, tell your friends because, dude, Rotten Tomatoes is wrong. And if you disagree with me, well, let's just duke it out in the comments section until the gifts decide who the winner is. Moving forward.
live in a fast-paced world where many people are too busy to sit down and read books or news articles. But thanks to Newsly, you can now listen to the news you wish you had the time to read. By utilizing AI technology, a natural human voice reads you the news, helping you grasp the information faster and more efficiently. Newsly provides the latest news updates 24-7, letting you browse articles from topics you choose. It even has podcasts, including ours. And listeners of Rabbit Holes can get their first 30 days of premium for free, allowing you to enjoy an ad-free experience by using the special promo code in our episode description. So download Newsly today for free on iOS and Android or visit www.newsly.me so you can stay updated on the things that matter to you. Moving forward. So, speaking of winners and losers, uh, The Vow Season 2 continues, and uh, wow, more more Nancy Saltzman time, but now we get to kind of like peek into her daughters, and more dominantly, the, like, the younger one that got sucked into Ranieri's trap, and, and it really, like, as you see her response systems, you really see a woman taken advantage of. I have to, at this point, seeing how everything played out, every woman in the wake of Keith Raniere is a victim, whether they know it or not. Because some of them are just extreme patsies to a degree that they don't understand until it's too late. So even now, when I'm watching all of these women who are defending him, and they're like, yeah, you just get a brand. It's totally okay. And I'm just like, wow. Like At first, I was like, you dumb bastard. But now it's like, you poor thing. You know, and like I should have seen it sooner, but really like my bias towards an organization of people easily sucked into cults like I was getting my schadenfreude up until this point. And they really did a great job on like breaking me of that in this last episode, because now it's like now I kind of want to hug Nancy. Like I really want to see like Sarah and Nippy across the table from Nancy in a positive conversation. So. Like, here's crossing our fingers to that because I really think, like, the next step in recovering from Raniere is is what Nancy Salzman does with the rest of her life. Is she just going to, like, just be a sad little house arrest, like, bump on a log? Or is she going to figure out a way to create positive radical change to make up for all of the pain that she feels like she's responsible for for aiding and abetting Keith, whether she knew it or not. So uh, I can't wait to see how it wraps up next week, right? I believe there's still one more. Um, but yeah, uh, but we we all know how the trial came out because that's already long and gone. But like at the same time, like it's just it's getting this commentary, and that's why I love documentaries. Well put together documentaries have great commentary. Okay. Uh, and this is definitely a show that's done its work. It's representing both sides equally. You know, and I, I think that's a thing that a lot of people, like, I really say if you don't watch documentaries, you should try to find a, a type of story that you might like to hear a documentary about. And that will also help show you how, like, a good documentary is made. And that's why, I, like, I tend to trust HBO documentaries a lot, uh, especially since, like, 
Netflix is a 50-50 these days, depending on what house they're producing from. And then, you know, Amazon is a free-for-all. So I'm just glad that they kind of put a kibosh on new documentaries kind of submitting in unsolicited because there's a lot of junk out there, you know, considering, like, what kind of misinformation came out in the age of Rona. So, you know, which brings me to a documentary that I gave into recently because it showed up on my feed next to Quantum Leap on the Peacock app. And so I've actually been watching Shadowland. I'm almost done with it, but I can think I could just give you the review on all of it right now because really it's 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 going to take me a while to get through those last two episodes because it's, it's a lot of uncomfortable territory, especially for me as a Republican who has a hard time dealing with nut job Republicans in my own party. But then I think that like Democrats have it too as the ideologues are spread it apart. But let's not get too deep into the actual like politics part because really this is a pop culture review but at the same time what's more popular culture than cults and train of thought so i felt this went hand in hand right after talking about the vow so shadowland nbc what is it about they followed prominent people in the QAnon and MAGA conspiracy community, all right? And here, here's the crazier part. Think about this. How many of these documentaries were going on because Xennial and Millennial reporters went, there's a dumpster fire in there. I should start rolling tape, okay? And then these people knowingly with documentary crews following them for the past four to six years they still managed to, in plain sight, set up all these terrible things, get wrapped up in this misinformation, ruin the integrity of a party, and commit a terrorist act. So this show, yes, it's going to show you a lot of things that's going to make you feel uncomfortable. A lot of trigger warnings in there. Whether you, like as a sane person, don't believe in anything that most of these people say, or if you're still getting off the Kool-Aid, and trying to figure out what your life is going to be next. Because these people are the extreme of what's left of the honor crowd. Uh, it, it, I mean, it, it's seen in in the election recently that we, uh, you know, we, we kind of don't believe in that nutty stuff anymore. But what, what really this documentary does is it shows you the personal psychology of each person. You just get to watch them unload. Because I have to say, the interviews in this, the producers did a good job. They didn't ask any leading questions. They didn't do any gotcha shit. I, you can feel those gotcha moments, but they're all generated by the people themselves. I mean, there's a woman on there that, like, her whole center for being is whether or not she becomes a celebrity. Not whether or not what she's doing. And she just gets so caught up in it. Like, she tries to approach Roger Stone, hands him a thumb drive. I'm sure he probably just threw it in his cocktail glass and, like, just chucked it afterwards. But, like, you can see who's really in this movement for the movement and who's in it for money. And the sad part is, is, like, what's really at the core of this is, like, it really shows us, like, through their own words and their own actions that they were just being shills the whole time and that this was this what that was the planned effort that was the compromise you know and obviously we all understand that you know 90% of Americans got it 10% like took over America but before i get too deep into like you know converging 
the Entertainment Weekly episode with the World Weekly, uh, I gotta say, you know, if you're if you're willing to go on one last crazy ride to understand like American politics in the past few years, this documentary it makes you feel so uncomfortable that you have to face all of it yourself in your head as you watch it. It really helps you come to your own conclusions about understanding the other side. And again, much like this last episode of the I watched, uh, the overall watching of Shadowland, you really just do feel sorry for a lot of these people. I mean, you, you want to laugh a little bit. There is that dose of shot in front of you get at times because it's like, that's stupid. That was treason. But realistically, most of the time you go, wow, these are people like my mom or my dad or my cousin or whatever. This is a lot like my buddy from down the street. And then they just started thinking crazy. You know, we need to stop seeing this as a versus sides thing. And we need to recognize this is a vocal minority of very few people who actually are facing a psychological break in their life. And they were susceptible to programming through mass hysteria. That's what it comes down to. So when you're watching all those guys, like, and that's what Shadowland helped me understand, especially as a guy on the inside, you know? You know, as an inside man being being a part of the GOP, this really did was just, like, how do I make peace with my people? And really this just showed me, like, the how the quackery hit them and they and it, and it just like upset their lives and people going to jail and people and then people the crazy things are coming out of their mouths but uh before i say anything that'll make uh youtube ban me again for talking about <laughs> the nonners uh let's move on to quantum leap because uh the uh the the first half of the season has ended now uh we had an amazing leap Ben leapt into Ben. Well, a kid named Ben, and he is in a Jeep running away from these crazy, like, corrective camp counselors, and they crash their car, and it turns out these kids are going to die in the woods if Ben doesn't help them get to safety. Um, I got to say that this was probably the most Sam-like experience for Ben uh, I also think that this was uh, a, a really good step for what was going on in Project Quantum Leap, but I was kind of sad that they like strung it out by doing the whole trapped in the elevator B plot. Um, I really felt that they could have put in a little more time of giving us Janice Calavici instead of just doing the reveal at the end. Uh, review on the leap itself. I will have to say this is the most like an OG episode than we've had out of any other. Uh, but I have started re-watching uh, OG Quantum Leap. And I'll probably be talking about that until we come back because there's probably still going to be a portion of the show dedicated to, like, the crazy theory. Because then I'm going to be like, I just watched episode, you know, 25 today. And I think this now after, like, re-watching episode 6 of the new one. So um, with that being said... OG aside, this leap alone, um, we did get to work on the dynamic better. They are starting to care to recognize like how his conversations with Addison are handled by the world around them. Um, you can definitely see it. Uh, you know, I was I was rewatching the pilot of the OG one and the conversation that Sam had with Al while he's getting medically checked by. The doctor after flying the X2, um, that homo, that exchange actually worked out really well. And I think that that like the more we get into stuff like that and things like we saw in Stand by Ben, where 
uh, you know, they all think he's talking to an imaginary girlfriend. So it's like, okay, cool, run with it. And I think that scenarios like that are more towards the original and they, they feel more Sam and Al tactics than anything else. So I'm really hoping that uh, they explore that more and we go deeper into those. Uh, I really thought it was great that like Ben just doubled down on like, I can't talk to him like kids. I'm going to talk to him like adult. But then you realize like Ben knows how to open up and then he uses the visit, the visage of this child to inflect it better onto these other kids and it really does so well. And in the end, they also, you know, change and save their lives and he gets to leap. But what we do find out at the end of this leap is that, you know, the whole Janice was trying to warn Ben about Addison dying. And that's why Ben started leaping, which has now led to the fan theories that have gone crazy because then it's like if Addison dies then is does Addison die because she leaped and if she died because she leaped did she already leap so therefore that's a paradox so is Ben leaping and causing another paradox and is that just gonna like retcon all the past or anything like time travel can melt your brain if you let it so uh so what are we to think then uh about Leaper X Lopez is the one that he ran into from an alternate future where Addison already went and now he's fighting the extension of that because he would have been the replacement after her? Or, I mean, it just, the idea of timelines sitting on top of each other in, in a Quantum Leap series, I didn't, I didn't think they were going to go down that road. So, like, I don't know if I want to give myself the migraine to make sense of it or if we should also think about like what else is playing between these, you know, between all these characters that could cause this. So like Janice took just enough to be able to build another imaging chamber and ran. So that's not the last we saw of Janice. Janice is not working with another leaper. So she's obviously trying to work with Ben. So then I'm guessing the end goal is that she eventually has to kick them out of the feed and take over for a whole leap. That, I'm sure, will actually open up uh, the real plot, and then we'll see where it goes from there. Because, like, are we just trying to prevent Addison's death, or is there a series of events that are being explained to Ben because Janice is manipulating all of it through her own emotions because that's another underlying thing that could happen she may not be an antagonist per se but she could be feeding her own personal agenda because how many people are now caught up in the idea of i can change the past or the future and save lives of the people i love i mean ben wants to constantly save his mom he's always out to save addison janice wants to save sam but then probably in somewhere in there thinks that she could either see or save her dad for a couple extra years so there's a lot of there's a lot of hearts at play against egos against knee-jerk decisions and reactions and as i always say only time will tell uh, as we find ourselves in the next leap. So looking forward to January when Quantum Leap comes back. Until then, I'm going to be cruising old episodes, and we're probably going to be revisiting like the episodes in pieces as I formulate theories. All right, so final subject of today, uh, something I'd like to talk about. 
I, I, I didn't want to open with this because I felt it would have been hard to like pull up from this. So I'd rather solemnly exit on this. So that way we could, you know, just at least give him the respect he deserves. Uh, as some of you may know, we lost an amazing uh, individual. And his name was Kevin Conroy. Now, for a generation of youngins, we knew him as the Batman, as the Batman. And, and, and we say the Batman, you know, we mean Batman the Animated Series. Uh, Kevin Conroy was the most legendary iteration of Batman since Adam West. Uh, nobody compares to Kevin Conroy's timber and just it's just it, it everything about him his tone his and and how he went from Batman to Bruce because he knew that Bruce Wayne was the mask and and just how like it just an amazing career of how many years how many how many iterations of Batman because then he'd showed up in other animated movies and or he'd show up in the video games and he even showed up in uh Batwoman uh as a alternate uh, multiverse Batman. So, you know, he is without a doubt the Dark Knight that we know, that we love, that we looked forward to every evening on Fox as a kid. And our parents would even watch it because in a lot of cases they knew his voice because they watched him on Another World. I mean, this guy... Had an amazing acting career. You know, we can't just think of him as Batman. We also have to remember, like, all the other places he was. And now as a kid of the 80s, like, I can tell you, like, you know, he made his his way from another world to things like um, Marvie Brown. You know, but I'm going to start end up mentioning shows that a lot of people go, who, what? But you should check it out. He really had a great acting career before he got offered Batman. And I, I think that gets overshadowed. But I will have to say he had a grace about him that you could tell how much he appreciated being Batman and how much he knew it meant to all of us that he was our Batman. So to you, sir, I say I'll see you on the other side of the source wall, my friend. And uh, I'm sure that everyone else can agree that we are sorely going to miss you, Mr. Conroy. Uh, he was 66 years old and is survived by his husband, and he will be sorely, sorely missed. And I'm definitely going to be, uh, I'm definitely going to be taking some time to sit down and probably go through my greatest hits catalog. I, I'm due for uh, probably a rewatch of Heart of Ice and uh, Mask of the Phantasm myself. But, uh, it's just, to me, it's a shame. Uh, as a kid who grew up with more television than parents in most cases, uh, Batman was iconic to me in that place. So, again, thank you, Mr. Conroy, for being there when a lot of adults weren't and for being a character that was well put together, not just by you, but by the writers, by everyone. But my point is you, you will always be remembered as all of that. It doesn't matter. For, for like how much of it was 
any all of those writers and animators and everything, when it comes down to what was the central force, it was how you brought Batman to life. And for that, we celebrate your life. Farewell. Mahalo for listening today. Mahalo for the follows. Uh, and uh, mahalo for joining on the ride. And continue that beautiful ride, even for as sad or maddening as it may be. And whether you agree with the critics or not, keep trucking. I love you. Aloha.